When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Esther had been trying to spit it out all day, but knew only too well how ridiculous it would sound. Her pained moping about, however, was beginning to get on Olive's nerves. As Esther forlornly took a seat on the kitchen doorstep to peel potatoes, Olive finally snapped. It's about that boy, isn't it? No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's about Bob McNeil. I told you to stay away from him. Nothing but trouble, that one. It's not, I promise, cried Esther. Well, what is it then? Esther thought for a moment. Then just as she was about to speak, the sound of the front door opening announced the arrival of their sister Jenny, home early from work. The moment had gone. Born in 1860, the 18-year-old Esther Cox was the youngest of her four siblings, and by all accounts, as is often the stigma attached to a youngest child, the one considered the most directionless. Along with her three sisters and brother, Esther had been raised by her grandmother, her mother having died soon after her birth. The children's father, perhaps as a result of grief, or for more selfish reasons, had abandoned the family soon after. As such, the siblings had remained close, and by 1878 had found themselves living together in the home of oldest sister Olive, and her husband, Daniel Teed. The house, a modest but well-kept yellow cottage, was located on Princess Street in the small town of Amherst, Nova Scotia. Sharing four bedrooms between them, the cottage was home to Esther, along with her 22-year-old sister, Jenny, her 27-year-old brother, William, and Dan's brother, John, as well as Olive and Dan's two sons, Willie and George. All in all, The arrangement had been surprisingly harmonious, considering the relatively cramped conditions. At least that was until that peculiar late summer of 1878, when everything changed. What follows is an account of what some claim to be one of the most terrifying 
and credible incidences of a poltergeist haunting in Canadian history. You're listening to Unexplained, and I'm Richard McLean Smith. Though there may have been earlier signs of what was later to come, most trace the beginnings to a cryptic and disturbing nightmare that Esther suffered on the night of August 27th. It was the details of this nightmare that put Esther in such a sullen mood the following day. It wouldn't be until later that night that she finally plucked up the courage to tell Olive what exactly had been on her mind. With everyone else having returned to work, Esther joined Olive in the parlour as she carried out some clothing repairs. After making her sister promise not to tell anyone about it, for fear it might distress them, she proceeded to outline the dream. At first, as she explained, she hadn't realised it was a dream, it having been so vivid and lifelike. Thinking she had woken up and was merely walking downstairs to the kitchen, she soon realised that something wasn't right. Although it was the same house, everything about it was somehow different. For a start, it wasn't yellow outside, but green, and all the rooms were in slightly odd places. Then, Olive and Dan had appeared, only instead of their usual faces, they had bear's heads with large sharp teeth and huge eyes the colour of blood. Moments later, Jenny, William and John, and even the little ones, Willie and George, had appeared, all of them with the same bear's heads on their shoulders. Together, they turned and growled menacingly at Esther when she was distracted by another sound coming from beyond the front door. Venturing outside to investigate, she saw a vast stampede of bulls in the distance racing toward the house. As they drew nearer, she could see that their eyes were a bright electric blue and their mouths were dripping with blood. And on the ground, where their hooves kicked up the dirt, terrific bursts of fire roared up from underneath them. On and on they came with a cacophonous roar until finally they smashed through the front fence and pummeled into the house. Esther had staggered back in terror only to wake up seconds later on a cold wooden floor having seemingly fallen out of bed. What do you think it means? she asked Olive, hopefully. Seeing that it had clearly been of great concern to her young sister, Olive suggested she try to forget it, telling her that as long as she kept to reading her Bible, she would have nothing to worry about. After all, God is more powerful than the devil, she insisted, and he will always protect her. Later that evening, after dinner, Esther took a seat on the front step of the house and gazed at the stars while she waited for Bob McNeil to show up. McNeil, who was a local shoemaker, had been courting Esther for a number of weeks. Recently, however, he had made a habit of arranging to meet her, only to then fail to turn up. So it was with barely contained glee when Esther spied the young man's horse and buggy approaching from the top of the road. Pulling up outside the house at just past eight, McNeil apologised for missing Esther the previous night, but promised to make it up to her. Flashing a smile, he invited her into the buggy to join him for an evening ride into the countryside. It was a little more than two hours later, back at the cottage, as Jenny was heading up to bed, 
when a clearly distraught Esther threw open the front door and ran straight to her room without looking back. For the next week, Esther would cry herself to sleep every night, refusing to give any information about what exactly had happened with Bob McNeil. It was a few days later, on the evening of September 4th, that a thick fog rolled into the town of Amherst. With the entire household fast asleep, Esther, who shared a bed with her sister Jenny, began to stir. Snapping suddenly awake, with a scream, she leapt out of the bed. What's going on? snapped Jenny. Something touched me, said Esther, shivering with fright. I can hear it rustling in the bed. Fearing it might be a mouse, Jenny jumped out too and hurriedly lit the bedside lamp. With the room now bathed in its soft flickering light, Jenny looked about the floor and then peered under the bed. But there was nothing to be found save for a small green box where they kept sewing materials. Pulling back the bed covers, Jenny gasped at the sight of something moving within the mattress. There, she said, it must be trapped inside. The women watched for a moment at the sight of what appeared to be a small creature moving through the straw mattress. Satisfied they had found the culprit and knowing that there was little harm it could do from in there, the sisters returned to bed. The following night, however, the rustling sound came again. Leaping out of bed once more, the sisters again searched underneath for any sign of a culprit, realising that this time the noise was coming from inside the small green box. Placing the lamp on the floor, Jenny squeezed herself under the bed frame and reached in to retrieve it cautious not to let it spill as she pulled it out. Jenny pushed it to the middle of the room. Bracing themselves for the mouse to reveal itself at any moment, the sisters sat back, staring expectantly at the box as the flickering light of the lamp cast ominous shadows on the wall. When suddenly, the entire box jumped straight up into the air, landing on its side. Esther reeled back with alarm, in expectation of a fleeing mouse. Only strangely, nothing came out. Jenny moved in for a closer look. Tipping the box back over, she peered into it, but found only the collection of sewing materials inside. That's odd, she thought, as she poked inside the box. She was just about to say as much to Esther when the box again jumped almost an entire foot into the air. Dan and Olive were startled awake by the screams coming from Esther and Jenny's room. Moments later, they found the two women cowering together on the bed, pointing toward the small box on the floor and claiming that it had just leapt into the air completely of its own accord. Dan could barely hide his irritation as he told them both to stop messing about and get back to bed. Having reluctantly got back under the covers, the two sisters would spend the rest of the night anxiously listening for any more peculiar noises. And though Dan had little time for whatever it was the two women had witnessed, there would soon be little doubt that something inexplicable had crept into their home. Are you always taking care of your family? Do you often take care of others and not yourself? Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. You deserve it. 
Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best, to feeling like yourself again. With Teladoc, you can speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video. Therapy appointments are available seven days a week from 7am to 9pm local time. If you feel overwhelmed sometimes, maybe you feel stressed or anxious, depressed or lonely, or you might be struggling with a personal or family issue, Teladoc can help. Teladoc is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to change counsellors if needed, for free. Teladoc Therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. The following evening, having seemed fine all day, Esther became suddenly unwell. Seeing her sister so pale, Olive suggested she head straight to bed, where she was joined soon after by Jenny. Having just got to sleep, Jenny was shocked awake by a series of horrific screams. Jenny hurriedly lit the lamp and held it toward the middle of the room, nearly dropping it at the sight of her sister, who was now yelling for all her life that she was dying. Jenny could barely recognise the distressed figure stood before her, the face flushed with blood and eyes bulging out. Esther's hair was also changed, appearing as if it were standing on end as her entire body trembled. Esther grabbed the back of a chair to steady herself, digging her nails into its soft wood. Having woken up the entire house, Dan and Olive arrived moments later and quickly helped Esther back into bed. But Esther seemed only to deteriorate, screaming suddenly that she felt as though she were about to burst. Dan held a lamp over her face and reeled back at the horrific sight of her now completely swollen body, her skin appearing as though it might rip apart at any moment. Esther writhed about in agony, grinding her teeth as spittle bubbled up at the sides of her mouth, when suddenly a monumental clap of thunder reverberated around the room, bringing everyone to a complete stop. Thinking that the house had been struck by lightning, a terrified Olive rushed to check on her sons, only to find them sleeping soundly in their beds. Returning to Esther and Jenny's room, Olive then pulled open the curtain and stared at the sky in utter bemusement. There was not a cloud in it. The thunder, it seemed, had come from inside the bedroom. Just then, three loud bangs rang out, causing the entire room to shake. Jenny looked to Olive in utter amazement. The bangs had come from underneath the bed. Passing the lamp to his wife, Dan took a look under it, but there was nothing to be seen. With calm being slowly restored, Jenny noticed that Esther had now fallen asleep and was returned to her usual size. Satisfied that she had recovered from whatever had been ailing her, the others returned to bed. The following morning, Esther, who remembered little of the previous night, appeared to have completely recovered her health. Four days later, however, whatever it was, was back. That night, Esther's screams once again brought Olive and Dan rushing to her aid, 
only to find Jenny lying completely unconscious next to her and the bed covers in a pile at the far end of the room. Esther, once again swollen and feverish, lay completely still on the bed, petrified of what she had apparently just witnessed. Something pulled the sheet off the bed, she cried. Jenny had fainted at the sight of it. Having no idea what to make of it all, Dan checked on Jenny, who had started to come round, as Olive gathered the covers from the floor. Laying them back on top of Esther and Jenny, the four of them watched on in horror as seconds later they were again pulled clean off the bed and flung to the far end of the room. A pillow was then launched by something unseen, striking John, who had just joined them, in the face. It was followed by another cacophony of loud banging coming again from underneath the bed. After another restless night, the following morning, calm had again been restored, and Esther appeared once more to have recovered her health. Though wary of what other people might think of it all, Olive and Dan sought the help of a local doctor. If not to stop the strange phenomena, then at least to find a cure for Esther's sudden bouts of mania. It was all the 48-year-old Dr. Karit could do, not to laugh at the hapless couple's ludicrous account of the past few days. A committed man of science, especially during a time of such great scientific advancement, Karit was not prone to nonsense and superstition. However, believing there was some serious cause for concern regarding Esther's health, the doctor agreed to take a look at her. So it was with some astonishment when later that evening Dr. Karit and the others watched as Esther's pillow again appeared to be pulled out from under her head by an invisible hand. Moments later, a steady succession of loud bangs sent the doctor running toward the door, each bang seeming to chase him along the floor. Feeling for all the world as if something vast and unseen were in that room with them, they could only watch with terror and disbelief as again the covers flew from the bed into the far wall. But this time it was followed by something new. A sound like the scratching of claws had the group turning toward the top end of the bed and gasping in collective horror. There, written on the wall just above it, were the words, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. A short time later, a flying lump of plaster that nearly struck the doctor on the head was followed by another series of bangs as all about the room rattled from the strength of them. All the while, Esther lay perfectly still in abject terror at what seemed to be occurring all around. By morning, with Dr. Karit having returned to check on her, Esther seemed once again to be in good health. Later that day, grateful for the distraction of helping Olive with the housework, Esther was sent down to the cellar to collect some milk. Stopping at the top of the steps, she had the sudden sense that something was lurking in the darkness below. Telling herself not to be so stupid, she promptly lit a lamp, holding it out in front of her as she cautiously made her way down, pushing back the dark with each advancing step. Having seen the milk urn at the back of the room, she had just taken another step toward it when she heard something moving about behind it. Esther slowly lifted the lamp and squinted at the darkness beyond, 
when a plank of wood came flying out of it, landing at her feet and sending her scurrying back to the dining room. Having been waiting in there at the time, Dr. Karit scrambled down immediately to investigate for himself, but found the room completely deserted. Karit then invited Esther to come and see that it was only her imagination playing tricks on her. Moments later, having joined the doctor in the cellar, a hail of potatoes shot out from the back of the room, narrowly missing them both and leaving the doctor in little doubt that Esther had not been mistaken after all. Later that night, the doctor returned to administer a sedative to the young woman, who by now was once again in agony and bedridden, complaining that her body felt as if electricity was surging through it. The bangings had commenced again soon after. And so it would continue for the next three weeks, until one night there came a startling revelation. With the family once again gathered around Esther's bed to help calm her as the doctor administered his medicine, the banging started once more. Suddenly, Esther was momentarily gripped by seizure before becoming completely still. Then, as if in a hypnotic state, she started to talk and slowly but surely began to reveal what exactly had occurred on that fateful night with Bob McNeil. As she went on to explain, shortly after he'd arrived to pick her up, they had proceeded to take a ride into the country just as they had planned. Having made it to the outskirts of Amherst, McNeil suggested they take a quiet back road towards some nearby marshes. Soon after, while making their way through a local forest, McNeil pulled the horse to a stop and leapt from the carriage. Taking a revolver from his pocket, he pointed it at Esther, demanding she get out immediately. As a heavy rain began to fall, the courageous Esther steadfastly refused. Terrified at what had suddenly come over the man she assumed to be her sweetheart, she screamed for him to take her home immediately. Becoming more enraged as the rain pelted down ever harder, McNeil attempted to grab Esther from the carriage when the sound of wheels were heard approaching from further up the road. Sensing his opportunity for whatever it was he had planned to do was now gone, McNeil jumped back into the carriage and within seconds they were thundering through the forest back towards town. Having finally arrived home, Esther jumped straight from the buggy and ran inside. McNeil was never heard from again. A moment later, Esther appeared to come around from her peculiar state with no recollection of what she had just said. On being told, she burst immediately into tears and confirmed that it had all been true. This, at least, is the version of events as recounted by Esther. Some have speculated, however, that there is a part to the story that she did not wish to recount. With gossip running rife among the townspeople and local newspapers even beginning to pick up the story, focus inevitably turned to the family. Few in that newly enlightened age, having only so recently been presented with such wonders as Darwin's theory of evolution and Edison's phonograph, were prepared to believe that that little yellow house 
had really been taken over by spirits. Amongst them, local Baptist clergyman Dr. Edwin Clay, having been especially troubled by reports that the family might be orchestrating the entire thing, decided to investigate for himself. But after spending only a few hours in Esther's presence, Clay was soon convinced that the reports had been entirely genuine. However, as a man of the church but also of science, Clay, just as Dr. Carite had begun to suspect, was unconvinced that spirits were to blame. It was his belief that perhaps Esther had been so affected by Bob McNeil's horrific actions that it had somehow unleashed a mysterious power within her. Soon after, Reverend Temple, another local pastor, also claimed to have witnessed a number of peculiar events for himself, and together with Dr. Clay, wasted no time in vouching for the integrity of the Teed and Cox family to his local congregation. Before long, half the town had turned up at the little yellow cottage to witness the spectacle for themselves. And so it would continue, on and off for the next year, as an increasing array of strange occurrences appeared to coalesce around Esther. When fires started breaking out in the house, seemingly without reason, she was sent to live with a series of neighbours in the hope that it might put an end to it all, only for the trouble to follow her wherever she went. After hearing of the extraordinary events, actor Walter Hubble travelled to Amherst to interview the family and stay with them in the hope of observing the bizarre phenomena for himself. Hubble published his full account of the family's story and what he himself witnessed, of which much of this account was taken in 1879, titling it The Haunted House, A True Ghost Story. Published alongside it were a number of letters and sworn affidavits from all involved, including 15 separate townspeople, Dr. Cavite and County Court Clerk Arthur Davison, attesting to the peculiar events they had seen. At one point, when Esther had been working for Arthur Davison, a fire had broken out in his barn, burning it to the ground. Esther was accused of arson and sentenced to four months in prison. Davison noted later, though he was in little doubt that Esther had started the fire, she had done so by some extraordinary and mysterious means. Esther was released from prison, having only spent a month in custody, after which all the strange phenomena ceased. Little is known of what became of Esther's later life, aside from her being twice married and having two children of her own, dying in Brockton, Massachusetts, in November 1912, at the age of 52. If you enjoy listening to Unexplained and would like to help supporters, you can now go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are massively appreciated. All elements of Unexplained are produced by me, Richard McLean Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplained. 
Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best. Speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video anytime between 7am to 9pm local time, seven days a week. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's That's right. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.